You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 181. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. What do you think about when you think about redaction? Uh, I, I, I think about, you know, a, a redacted document. I don't know. I'm, I'm imagining... Uh, you know, the government is finally saying, oh, we're releasing the JFK files or something. And they come out and like half of it is blocked out uh, because, you know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to tell us who this person is and what happened in this paragraph or whatever. Today, we asked the question, when do we get to redact our own documents? When do we get to protect our own privacy? As you'll see, it's important because you have a huge digital footprint. And if someone wants to find out a lot about you, uh, then... They can, and organizations can accidentally leak information about you without knowing it. So even if you're giving your information or allowing your information to be recorded by a um, somewhat trustworthy organization, uh, there's so much data out there that um, a lot of new techniques have to be used and a lot of new ways of thinking have to be used in order to keep uh, certain things private. So I found someone working on this problem with a solution that uses AI to redact information in our private conversations and private data uh, being stored in databases around the world. It's called Private AI. My guest today is a PhD candidate in computer science at the University of Toronto and the co-founder and CEO of Private AI. Patricia Thane, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Max. Great to be here. I'm so glad to have you here today. You know, I, I like to hear about like the, the latest AI projects and I know my audience does too. And I know we all care about our personal privacy and, and data uh, these days on, on the internet and, and all over. And so your kind of, your research and your, your entrepreneurial work speaks to all of that. So maybe before we begin, you could tell us a little bit about like, you know, what you're working on and um, you know, what, what led you to that point? What, what, what are your kind of research interests? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so at Private AI, what we're doing is making it really easy for developers to integrate privacy into their software pipelines. So we noticed a couple of years ago that if you were a developer that wanted to integrate privacy, you neither needed to either have a background in machine learning and privacy, in secure multi-party computation, homomorphic encryption, differential privacy. Uh, and this these are very skill, rare skill sets to have, and it's also very difficult to uh, hire for these skill sets, uh, given how rare and expensive they are. Uh, so what we're setting out to do is essentially being the go-to solution for uh, developers for privacy technology. Right. So you're, so when, when people think about privacy technology, there's all sorts of different like things you could think about, certainly uh, encryption. Um, and I'm, you could tell me a little bit about what you're doing in that area. So my understanding is you are working more on redaction. Is that is that true or is there an encryption component? Yeah, for now, uh, redaction and de-identification of text, images, and video. Uh, really, text is where we focus on the most because that's uh, the mo more of the data produced is tends to be text. So let's uh, yeah, mm -hmm. let's actually get back into it. So what what do you mean by redaction? Like what? Give people an example of like what why that's important. What what that is? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so what you can think about is 
your calls are being recorded often when you call call centers. And then uh, these call centers would like to analyze these calls in order to improve your experience. But they don't need your personal identifiable information like your name, uh, your address, your credit card number, your social security number, and so on uh, to be part of those calls in order to get perform inferences on the transcripts about uh, does a particular customer service need training? Uh, how well did this conversation go? And so on. Uh, so what right. we do is make it really easy for uh, a developer who's working with transcripts to remove that person and FIBO information. So you're on the phone or, or anyone out there is on the phone with some customer service representative. You try not to, you know, maybe if you're privacy minded, maybe you try not to say things that are too could be too intrusive to yourself, but you never know. You know, you're having a long conversation and, you know, you could say all sorts of things that um, are then being recorded. And so what you're saying is your software goes in and, uh, you know, somehow removes those bits that um, could be personally identifiable information. And exactly. you use some examples like your social security number, uh, any, anything else, like credit card number, anything else that's like maybe less obvious? Yeah, uh, so a lot of the times... Uh, so, okay, uh, when you see the headlines, let's say, for example, anonymization doesn't work because such and such company tried anonymization and they were still able to re-identify an individual. Uh, if you look more deeply into those headlines, it tends to be uh, companies that weren't actually anonymizing uh, properly. And what they're missing are things like quasi-identifiers where uh, you could have age, you could have uh, religion, ethnicity, uh, approximate locations, things that when combined together, it increases exponentially the likelihood of re-identifying an individual. <laughs> Basically, uh, I mean, everyone's going to know all the things that you could use to try to find someone on Facebook or, or yeah. LinkedIn um, when, when it's not obvious. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so how did, you, how did you get into this? Do you, wh wh why, why, why did you see this as like an important uh, area to work on? Do you have kind of a, a personal story or, or something that you read? Yeah. So back in when I started my PhD, uh, we started doing research on acoustic forensics. So acoustic forensics allows you to uh, determine who's speaking in a recording, what kind of uh, educational background they have, socioeconomic background they have, things like that. And uh, two things really popped out. Uh, one as part of the interest we were getting in that work was from uh, heads of military from less than humanitarian countries. Uh, so I didn't feel comfortable uh, creating things that would be compromising people's identity in those situations. And two, uh, for a lot of these tools, uh, which can really enhance the performance of automatic speech recognition, uh, they, they do lack the data uh, to be able to be trained properly. So it really of combining privacy, one, uh, protects the uh, privacy and, and human rights of the individuals whose data are being either trained with or inferred upon. Uh, but two, it also increases the likelihood that the technology that we build is going to be better in um, real world environments. So uh, maybe you could help like give an example of a, a conversation that I might have and then you know what? What does it what does it look like before it's run? And so, okay, the the company now has this conversation. So if if they don't run any privacy software on it, you know, you're 
you're kind of trusting that company to run privacy software. Am I, am I correct? But then if they use it further, at least if they use the privacy, at least if they use the redaction software, then they are, uh, they're protecting the, the end user a little bit. Is that how it goes? Yeah. So for that specific example, uh, what you're, what you're seeing is in a lot of, uh, data protection regulations, you do need to prevent uh, certain or personally identifiable information from um, being shared broadly across an organization, or you need to keep track of where that PII is stored. Uh, there's a whole bunch of rules and uh, that you have to follow whenever you're collecting personally identifiable information, uh, with good reason also because of all of the uh, cybersecurity threats that are out there. So if there's a data leak, for example, and you didn't collect personal and file information, that's much less bad for your organization than if you're leaking a bunch of conversations that contain everybody's uh, details and uh, and how what they spoke about during during these calls, for example. Uh, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. And so, what? Tell me about the the, the text software a little bit. Like what? Um, so I, I mean, I, I had a little bit of a look at it. It'll take uh, some text and it will be like, you know, name one, uh, you know, or basically replace words with like an identifier in brackets, uh, mm -hmm. which will either be name or credit card number or, um, you know, religion one, which is, you know, it's interesting if people mention a religion. Uh, so, um, tell me a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about how it works and, um, and, uh, well, first tell me like what, what uh, uh, am I right in in describing how it works, and then we can get into like, um, you know, some of the the what, what's going on to the hood a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so in, in on the surface, that's one thing that you can see. Uh, what we do is uh, send a Docker image to developers for them to integrate directly within their pipeline. So no personal information is ever shared with us. Um, none, none of the data is sent to our servers ever. And then what they do is they could call this uh, Docker image, which is set up as a REST API uh, using post requests. And uh, in goes the text that they want to de-identify or determine where the PII, uh, what kind of PII are in there. And out comes uh, the de-identified source or the pseudonymized source. So we could also replace names with fake names, locations with fake locations, and so on to make the text more natural and a dictionary of personally identifiable information. So all of the PII uh, that were found, what kind of, uh, what entities they're associated with, uh, which, uh, what segments of the text you can find those in. And uh, the cool thing about the pseudonymization is that if you're using the data to then train uh, machine learning models, uh, it prevents uh, downgraded accuracy down the line. So you could train sentiment analysis, named entity recognition, and so on without worrying about degrading your accuracy because of the, these labels don't aren't natural and don't match your pre-trained data. And in addition to that, uh, you also add an extra level of privacy because in case everything's missed, it's very difficult to tell what the original data is from the fake data. Like, so I'm a little confused here because so you're talking about you know, someone might want to run named entity recognition on their, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on their text. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've done that. That's let's, let's say that's like, you know, uh, trying to pick out, uh, you know, key people that the, that you're talking about or key locations or things like that. But if you've already changed those, doesn't that kind of screw up the, um, screw up the algorithm or you're saying run, run it through before then or, 
you know, uh, it depends what kind of named entity yeah. recognition you want to run, right? So you might want to pick up names, in which case you could just use our software to do that. Um, but you might have your own specific named entities to your organization that you want to look at. Um, oh, that might, might not be uh, redacted by your software. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I see. Uh, so in other words, you can then take the new text, run it through, um, you know, and, and run it through algorithms that kind of analyze other portions of the text without um, worrying about all of the personally identifiable information that is in there. Uh, right. So, yeah. okay, cool. So, and uh, yeah, you can go also, ahead. Um, so there's this Korean uh, love bot that uh, was in the news a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, uh, that had been training directly on chats uh, from their customers. And it was outputting, uh, you know, people's names, people's addresses, usernames, and so on. Uh, so if you're training a generative model, especially on text that contains PII, uh, you're very much risking the privacy of the individuals that are in the training data. Uh, so a solution like ours prevents that from happening. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Because so I, you know, I get a, so let me try to relate this to some of the stuff that I've worked on. Um, I've worked on a, a bot before. It's called MarsBot, and you, you type to it. And largely, it's, it's getting yes, no answers. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not too worried. But it, um, although, you know, it does contain a lot of inf personal information because it uses the locations that people are at. Basically, what it does is when you walk into a uh, cafe, it tells you exactly what to order. Uh, mm -hmm. But... Um, it's not using a lot of the text that you type to it. But on Foursquare, for example, uh, we go through tons of reviews to pull out key terms and things like that. And we also pull out key terms from things that people write privately, which you have to be careful about. Usually what we do is like, um, and this is super smart. I'm actually kind of proud of, proud of ourselves for doing this. Like if somebody on Foursquare, uh, you know, uh, types a, a private check-in and they're like, oh, I'm sitting out on the patio, then we'll mark that venue as likely having outdoor seating. But <laughs> you have to be very careful, you know, in case somebody is typing something that is, you know, personal to them and they don't want out there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also I could see like anyone who's designing a chat bot, you want to have memory. I mean, that's one of the biggest uh, problems I think with current you know, personal assistance and stuff. The, my my uh, Amazon Echo or, or, or Siri has no idea what I just asked it. And a lot of times when I want information or want something done, it requires like a back and forth conversation. And uh, there's maybe one or two steps, but there's not really that much right now because it's too complicated and they would have to store a lot of the stuff you say and repeat back a lot of the stuff that, 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 that you said. And you kind of want to be... Uh, cognizant of what you're storing and, and what you know if you're building one of these applications. Absolutely. And in so many cases, you don't need the person identifiable information to get the data that you really want to perform the task. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. And so it's kind of fun to, to read some of your examples because it almost kind of looks like a reverse Mad Libs type situation where it's like <laughs> a name, pick a color. Um, so have you thought about and I'm sure you have, like, how would you attack um, your system? Like, if I wanted to reverse engineer what was written, um, ha have you thought about ways that people might try to do that, and, and how do you kind of mitigate that? Yeah, we're constantly thinking about that. 
and that's one of the reasons why we don't say it's de-identification right off the bat. It's redaction. And then if you want true de-identification, you do need um, human eyes on the data if you want to publish the data, for example. Um, and that's because language is just so compli- complicated. Um, if you wanted to attack- always use like euphemisms or, or, or something that could get around the automated sensors. Yeah. Yeah, um, things like that, or um, more more vague things like I was uh, visiting a cottage by the lake north of where I live on you know last week. Um, right. Then with you could piece together different pieces of information to try mm-hmm. to determine who this person might be. Um, but it one one thing that we do recommend that our customers do to not uh, have that person be re-identified um, is uh, not link conversations together if possible. Uh, but also the way that we're looking at it is if you, the, one of the biggest uh, problems is having AI be trained on uh, to re-identify an individual because you've got massive amounts of data. It's uh, if you've got it mostly uh, de-identif- you, you've got it redacted to a very large extent, um, it's very unlikely for an AI to be able to figure out these ambiguities and then pinpoint you. Um, right. But if you've got a malicious actor uh, who specifically wants to identify one individual that they know is in a data set, uh, that, that is trickier and you need human eyes to be aware of that. But it does uh, mitigate a huge amount of the risk when you do redact uh, the personally identifiable uh, information, including the direct identifiers and quasi-identifiers. Right. And it's about risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's Privacy tech is never going to be perfect, just like security tech. You don't expect your antivirus to be perfect, uh, but it does help a huge amount. Yeah, so I, I'm actually thinking about your cottage by the lake example. Um, you know, if that were mentioned here in New Hampshire, that you know, there's a lot of lakes up here. So, um, you know, any automated system would have no shot of identifying the person. But if you were crazy, you could be like, okay, let me get out a map. Let me look at all of the lake cottages, you know, and look at like the likelihood of of, of each one, then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> then correlate it with some other databases and start narrowing it down. It would be a crazy expensive, but, you know, if an individual is targeted, uh, it pro- like, you know, it, it maybe could be done. Yeah. Is- yeah. Which is, which is why if you want to call something truly anonymized uh, and you want to publish the data, you do need human eyes. Um, but human eyes often isn't enough uh, because, uh, in, in, for example, our technology, we're constantly seeing that uh, it outperforms human accuracy in reduction. Uh, so a combination of AI and uh, human feedback is required in order to make sure that a database is actually publishable. Yeah. Human expert feedback. Yeah. And you said also the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the texts are kept separate. So it's not like New York is always changed to the same identifier or something and you could kind of work back like well why is this small town mentioned so much or this one identifier mentioned so much well that must actually be uh, a big city uh yeah yeah it's non-deterministic uh modification yeah okay but if you mention the same um like if you're doing like one paragraph at the time and somebody mentions the same city twice in the same paragraph will it say like hey they they mentioned that same one twice 
yes. Okay. So, so you can kind of get the context of what the person is saying, but you can't um, do it on a, on a corpus wide scale. And oftentimes, I mean, I've worked with corpus, corpus, there's like a lot of text. There's a lot of information you can glean when you look at the corpus wide scale, which, which we want to do sometimes. And sometimes we don't want to do, which is hopefully what you're doing is making sure that uh, we're not doing the things we don't want to do and only do the things we want to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we try to make it as flexible as possible for developers. So if they want to send it a paragraph at a time and get it pseudonymized or, or uh, redacted uh, a paragraph at a time, that's the context that we're taking. If they want longer than that, they could send longer than that through the API. Cool. So, um, can, and I don't know how much you could tell me, but um, can you give me kind of a high level overview and keep in mind, this is not, uh, this is not a, you know, hundred percent technical audience, but just like, how, how does it work? Like what's going on under the hood when it's looking at the text um, mm -hmm. and trying to redact it? Yeah. Uh, so we are using uh, NL NLP models. It, it, I, I guess it's no secret that uh, for redacting something like this, you do need uh, named entity recognition uh, to work. But getting the named entity recognition models to work uh, to the extent that we have is quite tricky. Uh, none of the out-of-the-box models work uh, as well for uh, NER um, at the moment. And you'd need a lot of data as well. Uh, and you need to optimize for speed. So we, we spend quite a bit of time optimizing our models for speed uh, and to run directly on uh, CPU. So we, with, uh, we could run 100 words in 42 milliseconds in one CPU core. Um, and we're constantly improving those speeds. That's, um, just and, repeat, that's 100 words in 42 milliseconds? Yeah, in one okay. CPU core. Yeah, milliseconds pretty short, so that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very fast for, uh, especially for CPU processing. Hmm. And uh, we, yeah, so we collected a huge amount of data as well uh, from a variety of different languages. So we could currently support seven different languages, English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, German, um, and we have Korean out in beta as well. And it's about a lot of very meticulous annotation. Uh, so you, you'd be surprised how much time and money goes into the annotation process. And uh, each of these languages have problems. I, so personal experience, like each of these languages have problems that are uh, not solved in other languages. Like you might have yeah. one thing that's specific to Korean that isn't, uh, that, that, that you wouldn't have solved by going to the other six languages. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For what, sure. What was one of the, like, what was one of the most difficult parts about expanding to some of these languages? Which one really, which one is giving you trouble? Um, a lot of it is gathering data and finding the right people to help us annotate the data. Uh, and it's a lot of finding the right um, people who can follow instructions. Um, yeah. It was building up the right instruction manual. Uh, it's constantly giving people feedback. Um, it's it's just so much work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think all of them um, would give us about the same amount of trouble, uh, but the ones that we don't speak directly a bit more. So we need to get more experts involved that who do speak those languages when we are working on those. So Korean, for example, um, I, I don't speak it, but we had to hire people who, who do to make sure that uh, everything is tip top. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I is that how you found out about the Korean love bot, or was that separate? No, that was uh, that was separately. Uh, 
Yeah, I think I found that out through uh, looking at privacy news in general. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, this really makes me, you know, think back when I, I really lucked out when I was doing sentiment analysis on on Foursquare tips, where the training data was literally Foursquare users liking and disliking venues and assuming that that That's was the sentiment nice. of whatever they left. And I, <laughs> yeah, and so I had training data for every. There's like 97 models there, 97 different languages. Um, mm -hmm. Now. I can only do a few things on it. I can only do sentiment analysis and uh, spam analysis because people mark things in spam, but of course they don't, you know, that um, sentiment is a little bit more balanced in terms of positive and negative examples, so it's a little bit easier. Um, but, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it, it must be a lot harder when you have to get the data yourself. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's also about getting the right balance of data. Uh, so right. we generalize really well uh, across multiple different kinds of data and and types of um, uh, and right, verticals because, as well, so, right? So you have different types of texts too. It's not like so. I was dealing with a lot of the text was like the same kind of stuff. Like I had the burger, mm -hmm. it was great, yeah. But <laughs> but so you you have you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. So that's so. Well, we partially do because our customers share the kind of uh, data that they're dealing with, and we could work off of that. Sure. Um, but, but you have different it, types of customers. We do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we also need to plan ahead for uh, how well our model can work out of the box in any given situation, and we're constantly adapting it. Uh, so, yeah, it's we we currently train on. Um, I think we're getting to over sixty different data sets, uh, and. Yeah, we're constantly expanding that uh, because there's just so many different kinds. There's semi-structured as well. There's structured uh, that we could help with as well. Um, in addition yeah. to, you know, there's conversational data, data with banking information, data with healthcare information. Um, and how, are you, how is that healthcare information structured? Is it in, uh, a, in the form of a uh, clinical uh, notes or is it doctor's notes or is it a conversation between patient and doctor? It just varies a lot. And also there are so many intricacies between the different transcription systems. How um, are the digits actually written out? What kind of uh, idiosyncrasies that each, does each transcription system have uh, that would make it difficult for our current model to pick up that we have to adapt for, things like that. Can people use this on a, like if they're doing research or just want to play around or is it, uh, you know, because, you know, obviously you're going to have big clients who are going to pay for it. And um, do you have like a um, kind of sandbox type uh, version? Uh, yeah, they could try out our web demo on our website. Uh, so that'll give a pretty good idea of how it works. Um, we don't currently... Uh, provide access to it uh, for just sandboxing uh, with um, uh, our actual uh, web demo model with REST API calls, uh, but you could see how it works on the website. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, I was just curious about that. What? Uh, so you guys also do a little bit with photos too, is that correct? Uh, we do, yeah. Uh, so I guess our, so our main differentiator there is that we can determine what kind of uh, PIIs within text and images. So, okay, so it's like if I take a picture of my um, my driver's license, which um, now they ask for it a lot, or a lot of different places <laughs> ask for a picture of your driver's license. You know, it'll, uh, and if someone wants to run models off of those, 
uh, you could kind of redact the, um, the, the, the relevant information. Yeah. Or you take a picture of a pill bottle uh, and you want right. to know what the medication is, but not, you know, who, who the patient name is. Right. Uh, and there could be or, stuff in the background of any casual photo you don't know. Yeah, um, exactly. That's why um, every time I do the podcast, I got to worry about what's behind me when I do the video podcast. It's like, what, yeah. do, I, what do I have out? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I know like some people use fake backgrounds. I, I, I like to show my, where I live, but I also don't want to, um, you know, have too much, uh, I'm also worried about what I'm what I'm putting in the background. Exactly, a lot of people put their university degrees in the background, for example. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, which might work for the podcast. I mean, I don't have my. Uh, I'm sure I have my university degree somewhere. It's not. It's not here. But uh, I'm sure it would work for the podcast, but wouldn't work for any old call, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right, very cool. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to keep this on my list of. Uh, you know, things to use. And I'm sure it'll come up whenever I hear of someone who needs to redact uh, their data. I am going to point them to, uh, to your software. Um, so yeah, th th thanks a lot for, uh, for, for coming on the show today and, and sharing this with us. Uh, before, before we go, uh, do you have any last thoughts on this and where can people go to learn more? Yeah, um, I think that uh, there are a lot of misconceptions about privacy technology and uh, that it's one versus another and that, you know, either anonymization will solve all problems or homework encryption will solve all problems. Um, but it's not one versus the other. They are very specific use cases for each technology in which they are the right um, tech for. Uh, and it before you start thinking about which um, privacy technology to use, you have to really understand the problem that you're dealing with and what kind of outcomes you want and what kind of privacy you want to guarantee for your, indiv your individual users. Uh, so we do have a privacy uh, enhancing technologies decision tree on our website, uh, but I'm also happy to talk to anybody who uh, is having a hard time figuring out which one is the right one for me. Okay, great. So I will put all of the links uh, that you send me to your website and how to get in touch with you on the show notes page for this episode. That would be localmaxradio.com slash 181. Patricia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Max. Such a pleasure to speak with you. All right. That's really fascinating. That was, uh, this is episode 181. So the show notes page for this will be on localmaxradio.com slash 181. As we move along this summer, I have some I have uh, I have some new and bizarre <laughs> type uh, type topics coming up. I think next week I want to talk about, for lack of a better word, uh, setting up rules. No, that's not that, that. That sounds boring. That sounds nobody likes rules. What am I gonna? What, how am I gonna describe this? I'm going to talk about you know when you're setting up a system, whether it's you know social media and you want to figure out you know how people flag posts or something, or you're setting up. Uh, a, a contract among many people or a constitution, the rules that you set up affect how things are going to play out and affect whether people cheat or not. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that from what I've learned from both a, a technical perspective and from, from a historical perspective. Some thoughts on that. Man, I don't know how to market that one. That one is going to be... <laughs> we'll, 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 see, uh, we'll, we'll see what I come up with. Another kind of uh, interesting one I want to talk to Aaron about is a philosophical view of digits 
Yes, digits like uh, like like the number digits. Okay, you uh, you probably there are a lot of things about digits that uh, you uh, might not have considered. Uh, so definitely tune in for that one, and then we'll get back to the news and stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, every summer we have some kind, and not just the summer, but uh, I'm thinking last summer when we talked about topology a lot. But uh, every every summer we have some kind of you know, interesting miscellaneous topics, and I hope to continue that. Uh, All right, so have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel, feel the power.